0: there and welcome to this Movies in Focus podcast. I'm Niall Brown and this time around my guest is filmmaker Lisa Downs. Lisa's 2017 documentary Life After Flash was a brilliant look at the film Flash Gordon and its lead actor Sam J. Jones while 2020's Life After the Navigator looked at another beloved 80s sci-fi film Flight of the Navigator and the roller coaster life of its young star Joey Kramer. Far from being mere nostalgic looks at classic films, her documentaries have a heartfelt core which profile the stars of the movies and their complex lives. And it's not just features, you can discover more on her Life After YouTube web show, which includes interviews, competitions and a lot more. On this show Lisa talked about three very different films which means something special to her. The 1989 comedy Dream a Little Dream starring the two Corries, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. 2015 financial drama, The Big Short, and the Hollywood classic, Giant, starring James Dean. As always, I hope you enjoy what we have to say. Hi, Elisa, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And you're on to talk about three films that mean something to you.
1: Yeah, and I thought, you know what, when you emailed me to ask, I thought, oh, it's so, because you use the word top three. And I was like, that's such a loaded question to ask, <laughs> top three. And I thought it would be so easy to pick the ones that I talk about so much and the ones that are in people's lives so frequently. Like I was, my first ones were going to be always dream, little dream. But then I was like, should I do Flight of the Navigator and Never Ending Story? And I just thought, you know what, that's too easy. So I picked my three, three films at, just came into my life at various times and have resonated for whatever reason and a nice little uh, spread across the decades as well.
0: Well, that's it. I mean, the, the first one we'll, we'll talk about is Dream a Little Dream. So it's from 1989. When did you first see it? And what, what made you fall in love with it to begin with?
1: Dream a Little Dream is hands down my favourite film, I think. I should know, I think, because I always think, should it be? Because, you know, it's not, I guess, a conventional popular film, um, but it was a film that just came to me in high school. I'm a big Corey Haim fan. So I, was, I went through this phase in probably early teens when I really discovered Corey Haim, that back in the day when we had four channels and a TV guide that would come out every Sunday, Corey Haim's films tended to be screened between like 11 PM and 5 AM. So every Sunday I would look forward to the TV guide and I had a list of his films, his filmography printed from the internet. And my goal was to like see every single Corey Haim film. So I would scour the thing with my VHS ready to program the VHS to get all my Corey Haim films. So dream a little dream just came about in that process in, must have been the early 90s when I started doing it. Um, And it just, it was a film that A, I just think is so entertaining to watch. But it was a film that also got me through some really hard years in high school, you know, when I, not to get too much into that, but like when I didn't really want to be with anyone else, I would go and like write out quotes from the film and just write about my thoughts from the film and i would like find a little place and i would like have my notebook and be how i'm trying to like memorize the script and see if i could memorize the whole thing and write out the script from memory and it was just all these things that kind of kept me distracted from things that were happening in high school um so that's a long-winded way to answer your question about. No. I watched it probably in the early nineties.
0: <laughs> and just if anyone's listening and they've they've not seen it because I haven't, what what's just a brief synopsis? What's it about?
1: It is a two quarries film where they're best friends, and Jason Robards is in it. It's a great cast: Jason Robards, Harry Dean Stanton, um, and Laurie Piper. Where it's they. Jason Robards is trying to conduct these experiments to find if there's a place between reality and where where dreams happen, and then it's like a turns into a body swap film. So there's like an accident where Jason Robards becomes Corey Fellman and it's him trying to get back to being Jason Robards, but all, along the way, finding the girl and finding out about himself, and then the older generation start to appreciate the younger generation and vice versa. And in a nutshell, it's a body swap film, but it's just the costumes are brilliant and it's a high school film, which I always love a good high school film. And it's a two Corey's film.
0: Well, that's it. And what is it about Corey Haim that sort of drew you to trying to track down all his work and obviously becoming a huge fan?
1: I don't, No, really. I think it's just when you're young, you're just drawn to things that maybe you don't even think about why you're drawn to it. At the time, I never stopped and went. I wonder why I really love Corey Haim films. I think he just has this kind of personality and this charm and this cheek that, you know, it even just led to me liking him so much that it didn't really matter if I didn't like his actual film or not. I would watch it just because it was a Corey Haim film. Um, and to me, he kind of symbolizes what the 80s are all about. Like, through Corey's, you know, the Corey hotline, and it was just just something I couldn't explain. I just enjoyed watching him on screen. And, you know, and then he would have a film like The Lost Boys, where that was so iconic that it just... I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to try and watch all the Corey Haim films just to see what they're like. Some were great, some not so great. Um, But there was just something about him. And I really am so disappointed that he wasn't around longer into this now Comic-Con world. Yes. Because he would have been so great at Comic-Cons. I would have loved to have met him. Um, you know, and it's also, you know, he, it's a tragic ending to him, but I just think he's so iconic. Um, and he's, he comes across a little vulnerable as well that you just connect with as a teenager.
0: Well, that's the thing. I mean, the, the tragedy of effectively the two Corey's because obviously Corey Feldman's had his, his issues as well. It's a, it's a shame that these two really, really good actors and bright stars in sort of the eighties and, and early nineties were just kind of destroyed by the Hollywood machine.
1: It really is. And it's, it's not, a, um, an uncommon story. Um, you know, and it's a shame when you hear stories like that and you can see it unfolding on the screen you know, and there's YouTube videos of all oh, his last interview and people like to watch someone go downhill. So I think the more people go downhill, the more media attention that they have because it's entertainment. Yeah. Um, and you know and it is a a sad story and he was so iconic and I don't know if you've seen uh, Corey Feldman's documentary that he just released.
0: I haven't but I I, I have read about it, yes
1: I mean that is worth watching because that's the My Truth documentary he crowdfunded (sighs) and he got got a lot of flack for doing it, you know, he tried to raise the money to do a scripted film and then everyone was like, well if you're going to announce the reveal the names of the abusers why can't you just do it and why do you need so much money and you're trying to keep the money for yourself and i just think it's they for whatever reason they became easy targets and so i think that documentary is worth watching because it really just explains what happened from his point of view yeah,
0: yeah no it's definitely one that i really want to see and i think because they were so iconic in the 1980s. And as a film fan, you do want to hear that truth about about everything that went on and sort of kind of what what happened to child actors throughout that period, which, I mean, you actually touch on in Life After the, the Navigator with Joey Kramer. It's, it's a very sort of similar tragic story, but he seems to yeah. have turned it around.
1: Well, that's it. And I think in that journey and getting to know Joey as a result, it really makes me appreciate the idea of you can't, judge people from what you read in the paper and there is this awful fascination with wanting the underdog to stay the underdog and watch someone go downhill and hit rock bottom because it maybe it makes the writer and the readers feel better about their own lives or whatever it is and and after getting to know joey like i talked to joey and i can't even imagine he you would, I would never think that he is the same person that I have been reading about. And then when you read the reasons why things happened and you find out why things happened, you just never know what goes on in someone's life behind closed doors. Um, so from that, I definitely keep more of an open mind. Not that I ever fixated on it anyway. I wasn't like, you know, reading the entertainment pages and sure. loving the salacious gossip, but you just become more aware of, what it means to the person that the article is about and the news story is about.
0: And we'll kind of wrap up talking about this one, but what, what is it that you would, would tell people why they should go out and watch Dream a Little Dream? It's why should just, they seek it out online?
1: Well, I have so, so it's just, it's a classic, it's a classic 80s film that has a really, one of the draws that Um, for me especially was the soundtrack. It was the first CD I ever owned. I remember in Australia going to order it from Kmart and it was international. So it was $30 and I had to wait two weeks for it to arrive. And I was so excited and I had like filled out the little form to make sure I go and get it. And I remember the feeling of having this CD and I was obsessed with the edge of it because I had just bought my first CD rack and what it looks like when you slide it into the CD rack. And then, so from then on, if I was choosing between albums to buy, I would buy the one that looked better on the spine so that I knew how it looked in my CD <laughs> rack. But the the, um, the soundtrack has like, it's got REM on it, a really great Van Morrison song, um, Otis Redding, the cover of Dream A Little Dream, obviously by, I thought it was Corey Feldman at first, but it's not. He dances in it. He does this little Michael Jackson dance sequence with Meredith Salinger, who is just stunning in the film. Um, it's just a great 80s classic, two Cory's body swap film that is definitely underappreciated. And you have, as I said, Jason Robards and Harry Dean Stanton and this amazing cast. Um, and I remember reading an article uh, that Corey Fellman had done had an interview with once, and he said that he was actually quite disappointed because he took the role knowing that cast was in it, um, that he wanted to kind of have a more serious film and then sure. the marketing or whatever, it kind of turned it into this caper style teen comedy. And I think it was panned as a result, but... It really is an underrated film and I highly recommend it to anyone. And also, little connection to to the Navigator, if I'm rambling, stop me. No.
0: Nope, um, Matt you-
1: Adler. Matt Adler, who plays older Jeff in Fly of the Navigator, is in Dream and Little Dream. So he was one of the people in the life after the Navigator journey that I was so nervous. To me because it wasn't, oh, this is older Jeff from Fly of the Navigator. It's like, this is Dumas from Dream a Little Dream and he like beats <laughs> up the two quarries on a field and it's just such a great film. Special place in my heart.
0: Which takes us to the next one, which is a, a big change of pace and obviously a very different topic. The Big Short. Mm. So why, why, why have you selected The Big Short?
1: The Big Short would never have been on my list of favorite films, but it's one of those films that has just become, that and Social Network and Wolf of Wall Street, are three films now that if I just don't know what I want to watch, I'll just put it on because you learn something new every time. It's about the, um, the 2008 crash and all the people that shorted all the housing stocks and bonds and I won't even pretend to understand this is why I like this film because I still no matter how many times I've seen it I'm like hang on so what is this type of money stock and you're trying to short this and like it's quite over my head but they have these really great little scenes in it where they try and help the audience explain what's happening so they're like here's Margot Robbie in a bubble bath trying to explain what a CDC short is and then you know she tries for the layman to explain what it is and they have like Selena Gomez and Anthony Bourdain doing the same things but um, it's directed by Adam McKay who what I think works really well who was the director and I think he um, wrote like Anchorman which is the yes. and the other well, guys so a lot of comedy from, stuff yeah he came from comedy. And what I love is when comedians move to drama, whether it's an actor or a director, like Todd Phillips going from The Hangover to The Joker, I think it was brilliant. Cause there's this, like, this kind of darkness that comedians seem to be able to draw from that you maybe wouldn't expect, like, you know, Brian Cranston in going to Breaking Bad. That was brilliant casting. Um, so Adam McKay, this is his directorial debut for drama and Steve Carell is very dramatic in it. Um, it's, just, it's, it's just so well done. And so the script is incredible. Um, it's just entertaining. It's funny. I mean, Brad Pitt's in it.
0: Well, it's got um, a great cast. I mean, if you look at the rundown, it's brilliant.
1: It's brilliant, and Christian Bale is, and I, I don't know what awards it won. I think it might have won the Oscar for original screenplay. I think um, it might have
0: as well, yeah.
1: Yeah, but Christian Bale's brilliant in it, and he's so unhinged. Um, and having a comedic director, you have these really great comedic moments throughout it, and the timings are really great, even though it's a, a dramatic film and you learn a lot about the 2008 crash and they have the these really great editing mon- these montages too where they kind of set up the tone and the time of what's happening in that year in pop culture um, so there's just a really great mix of the editing's brilliant the acting is brilliant you learn about <laughs> what happened 2008 um, and just particularly Steve Carell is it's just it's the most amazing film um, and I do think it's because you have these comedic talents involved in doing drama which I think is always a great standout
0: for it. Well that's I mean you, you touched on it yourself comedians when they do drama like Steve Martin did a couple of really good straight roles in the 90s um, Robin Williams I mean obviously yeah. you know some of the best stuff that he did was the dramatic and uh, Steve, yeah Steve Carell he's actually created a very interesting career for himself uh, from The Office onwards where mm. I think pretty much now he's really only doing dramatic acting although there might be hints yeah. of, of comedy in it.
1: Yeah I watched um, Foxcatcher again yes. the other day and he's so good in that and I just watched also Nobody which is Bob Odenkirk. I don't think he directed it but it, it's him kind of a Mr. and Mrs. Smith style. Um, you know, he's like the house husband, and then he suddenly has his secret identity and really great in it. And you wouldn't really expect that from him.
0: No, um, and he, he's so good in Better Call Saul as well. I mean, that, that's just a great show.
1: Yeah. Better,
0: actually, better than Breaking Bad, I think. You know, it, it's actually, I think, managed to, for, for a spin off, become its own thing.
1: It definitely holds its own. Yeah. I think there's another season
0: coming out soon. And then I think that's it. That's the end of it, which is a shame, but obviously there's a, there's ultimately an ending where it has to go. So you can't really drag it out too much.
1: Yeah. But I do, I think it's just, I never would have expected the film um, to become one of those films that I just really enjoy putting on when I don't know what to watch. And it's, and when you get a film that you can learn something new every time and you can notice something new every time, um, I think is quite rare. Um, so it's definitely definitely become one of my top three.
0: And that's, uh, The Big Short was produced, I think by Brad Pitt, who's, who's also in it. And he, as a producer, seems to be making a lot of very interesting films. Yeah. Rather than the, the, the normal sort of Hollywood fare that you kind of would associate with them.
1: Yeah, actually, I tell you what, when I was talking about the screenplay, I think it was an adapted screenplay. It must've been based on a book. Um, because he also did Moneyball. I'm just trying to look online. He um, produced Moneyball and I think the book was from the same author of
0: the two. Right. Which is another very interesting film as well. And again, I know nothing about baseball, but it, it, uh, it was one of those things that they break it down in such a way you, you find it incredibly interesting. So uh,
1: uh, I haven't seen Moneyball.
0: It's it's worth seeking out, definitely, you know. Okay, uh,
1: do you think, uh, because I haven't watched it on the basis that I'm not a huge baseball fan, although um, League of Their Own will always be spectacular. Um, Do you think a non-baseball fan would like Moneyball?
0: Yes, because it's very much about the business aspect of it and how they kind of select players and teams. So... It's been a few years since I've seen it. I don't think there's actually much baseball in it, so it's more about the the behind the scenes shenanigans of doing it. And, and Brad Pitt's brilliant in it. So I think he's
1: brilliant in everything. To be fair, I even Selmer and Louise, he was brilliant in.
0: Yeah, I was, I was a huge fan until I watched um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's and funny. I came out of that. Yeah, and I came out of that a huge Brad Pitt fan. So, and um, Oh, Ad Astra, which he he did a, a year or so ago, that's brilliant. Yeah. Too. So, uh, he's I, I, just
1: really funny. He's, he's one that um, you wouldn't consider a comedic actor, but no. he's got really good comedic timing. Um, and he's really good in the big Short Again, like the, the comedic timings in these films when you have these kind of comedic actors and directors, it really, really works.
0: Yeah, which will bring us to our next film because when Brad Pitt first started out, he was compared a lot to James Dean. So the next film that you've chosen is Giant. So why have? Why, why have you uh, decided on that one?
1: Um, a, I just think James Dean's an icon for a reason. Um, he's so compelling to watch. Yeah. I think the first time I watched this film, I mean, yes, it's over three hours long. So it does take either a very patient person or a few watches to get through the film i think you know it's hard these days where people are getting their attention spans are getting shorter and shorter um but if you can watch the whole thing in one go i would highly recommend it um it was just a film that again for it just compelled me when i first saw it it just there was something about it um i loved i mean i love america so anything really set in kind of Open Plain, America, Texas, you know, this is on an oil ranch covering two generations of um, oil tycoons. Um, I think the, the themes in it are really great. You know, I think at a time when there's so much spoken about history in terms of in film, maybe it's people are getting offended or it's representing people wrong. And I think with film, you forget that it reflects it's like reading a history book it reflects the time that it was made yes. so you know all these these discussions about erasing history so you don't offend people like learn from it you know that's how it was and I think you people might start off watching this film going oh, hang on a minute you know he's got certain statues outside of his house and Hispanics and African Americans are portrayed in their, stereotypical ways as they were in the 50s and not a way we would portray them now so you start off the film especially how they talk about these people um, I can see that people might have certain opinions of it but then but the more you watch the film you realise that Rock Hudson's journey is overcoming his racist beliefs yes. and racist ways because of his grandchild being half Hispanic at the end um and elizabeth taylor's character being the kind of feminist that stands up to the men where she gets told she's not allowed to talk about politics and she's got to kind of sit down and look pretty and knit and she fights back i think is really great and almost feels a bit rare for that time when you did have so many films where it was these stereotypes where women were just you know to be seen and not heard and no one really argued with it. So I just think she's got such a wonderful character too when she's trying to stand up and support the Hispanic communities. Um, And just watching James Dean, I mean, he's, yes, I think there's an element of when actors and musicians die young, they're immortalised, but he deserved to be immortalised. And I think, you know, watching the film too, it's even more poignant because it was his last film and he didn't even totally complete um he said he died he said before it
0: was totally finished.
1: Yes. Yeah, so so there's that scene with him and his method acting. There's that scene at the um, the the banquet where he has to make a speech and he's drunk and so he really got drunk for that because the method way. Um, and because he was slurring so much they had to redub him but because he died they had some other guy, I think his name was Nick Nick Allen or Nick Adam, Nick someone, um, who sadly died himself really young, I, I think of an overdose. But they so they had to redub him at the end because he died. And you know there was this big thing at the premiere. All the teenagers thought it was a publicity stunt that James Dean wasn't really dead and he was going to appear at the premiere, and it was a way to get everyone out. And then when they realized that he wasn't going to turn up, I think yeah. they just sobbed through the whole premiere. But He just, when you watch him on screen, he has these like really subtle mannerisms to how he acts. This is really great scene where he's just, I don't know what it's called, but kind of throwing that rope with the knot at the end. And he's just so like present on screen. And there's never a moment where he's just sitting still, even if it's just doing something really subtle.
0: Um, And, you know, you can't. It's great screen presence. You, you just watch him and you go, my God, you know, the, the camera sort of adored him.
1: Really does. You I know. mean, all of them, you can see why the three of them had like became the icons that they yeah. did like Elizabeth Taylor, despite her like massive eyebrows. Um, <laughs> just you can't take your eyes off her. Um, you know, and Rock Hudson is he's always had a bit of a stigma for being a bit, Kind of stiff acting but he plays the role well I th- and i, I love think
0: he's very underrated rock hudson I, I think if you look at some of the stuff like he did seconds with john frankenheimer and a lot of mm. the the douglas sirk melodramas i think i, w- I would hope at some point people are going to look at rock hudson and reevaluate because he, he's almost become forgotten and sadly for known more for how he died than his yeah his, I, th- presence. I think
1: that overshadowed his career um you know, and I love that in kind of the movies of the fifties and the sixties there's an element of it's all like very dramatic and theatrical and how like when his character goes up to the farm for the first time at the beginning to meet and he meets Elizabeth Taylor's character, it's like five minutes and suddenly Elizabeth Taylor's like, "I think I love him, I'm going to marry him and then suddenly ten minutes later they're married, and it all just happens so quickly and it's so convenient, but I just I There's just such a kind of charming quality to these films. Um, And it's funny when you think about um, what actors come and go in what generations. So for me, Dennis Hopper is an actor that I grew up with kind of knowing about in his later career. And then I rediscovered his early work. But he's someone that I never thought would be in the same life fan cycle is James Dean. You know, to me, he's like an 80s and 90s actor and James Dean is the 50s. And so you it's so easy to forget that he was really good friends with James Dean and in two films with him. And so it's a it's a weird way that you kind of it feels like you can connect with Giant more because there's someone from your lifetime. Like, I agree. Yes, Elizabeth Taylor yeah. but he's in our lifetime in this film so it's like now we're just that one step closer to it.
0: Yeah I mean I was I was actually fascinated much like you that Dennis Hopper would be in something that seemed you know a, a whole different you know massively different era and yeah. m- much like you you know you, you watch the 80s films or Speed or Waterworld or whatever it is with Dennis Hopper and you go he was in Giant you know like <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's and he was yeah. of course. like, how did that happen? That's like, did he time travel? Yeah, it's just such a strange feeling and strange thing to see.
0: And he went from being in the big Hollywood movies, actually changing Hollywood with, with easy Riders. So it's a it's quite interesting that he went from being this sort of cog in the machine to being part of New Hollywood in the late 60s, which is.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he's got this really um, great—I forget the name of it—but this really great photography book out that he did, um, which was really fascinating to look at. It's kind of like a sneak peek into his very crazy and wild life. And you know, I know there was lots of stories about Dennis Hopper, and (laughs)
0: yes,
1: (laughs) you know, what 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 a what a great actor. And just I just I love Giant for it's like excessive use of dissolves and like really like long shots and just this magic of what it makes Texas to be and it's always been a bucket list of mine to go and visit Martha, Martha I think it's pronounced, or Martha in Texas because I think in the ranch where they had it there's like one little bit left of the house that you can go and see and so that'll tick that box one day.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you're talking about The Dissolves and, and it's a stunning looking film, but uh, George Stevens, who directed it, he also directed Shane, which is another kind of brilliant American movie. And one that I think not enough people, younger people know is the greatest story ever told his, uh, his Biblical Epic, which is just amazing to look at. It's just like each shot is like a still from a, a painting. You know, it's, it's beautiful. So if you I haven't, haven't seen, seen
1: that, that- But I know Max von Sydow is in it.
0: Yes, it's, it's, again, that's got another brilliant cast as well, you know. It, yeah. Um, Charlton Heston pops up as John the Baptist and, uh, you know, just just a wonderful cast. How
1: long is that film?
0: Again, that must be three hours plus, something like that. Yeah, a,
1: those were the days when we had three hours. At least we got Scorsese still to give us some epic it. length. But <laughs>
0: yeah, and you can and pause parents, it on Netflix, know, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, but I just it feels... It feels like it, like I I mean I know that the studio system and these kind of iconic legend actors are all of a time gone by now it feels but um, just people's attention spans are so quick these days it's yeah. like even on YouTube if you have to wait thirty seconds for an ad to see what you want to see you go I'm not waiting thirty seconds
0: like, that's yeah you know, and
1: so it's like a lost art that we will you know after Tarantino and Scorsese we'll probably. Well, everything will be like an hour <laughs> under.
0: That's a bite size. You know, everything's got to be kind of quick and snappy. You know, it's the exactly. uh, social media generation. Exactly. Well, we'll wrap it up. But if you just want to say, what are you working on at the minute and what's coming next from you?
1: Uh, well, so after Life After the Navigator was released in November, which is very exciting. Um, we have been working on the third in the series, which is Life After Atreyu, which is a never-ending story and Noah Hathaway telling his story. Um, Started filming before lockdown, uh, had to pause, but hopefully with things opening up again soon, we will be able to start filming with that. Um, We're pre-selling, we're doing some pre-orders on lifeaftermovies.com where you order before 30th of May, you get your name in the credits as a thing. So that's the only chance to get your name in the credits um, through the pre-order. And you also get the little collector's patch I'm gonna do and I will sign it. Um, so that's kind of what we're working on and we're working on a few other life afters that we haven't announced yet, but also I do uh, my web show on YouTube. So it's life after movies presents the web show and I'm pretty like happy with the guests that I've had so far, like Flash Gordon guests and Neverending story and like Bob Gale from back to the future and Brian May and a whole bunch of others.
0: So a nostalgia based web show. Yes. You know, and the, the two films are brilliant. Um, Life After Flash, as a kind of lifelong Flash Gordon fan, I love that. And Life After the Navigator. Again, that's only a film I'd seen relatively recently. And I was totally drawn into the story. And what you're so good at as a filmmaker is taking these characters that you kind of know from the film and just peeling away. So you discover the people behind them. And it's it's just riveting to watch. So I, I've enjoyed both, both of the films so much.
1: Well, thank you. And hopefully you enjoy Life After a Trey when it comes out.
0: Definitely. No, i uh, look forward to it. So when thank I, you. Lisa, thank you for joining me today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Okay, speak soon. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Movies and Focus podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope that you tell your friends about it. That's it for this time. And I'll see you at the movies.